One spring, sometime before the Civil War, a, a boy in search of work came to Worthy Taylor's Prosperous Ohio Farm. The, the farmer knew nothing much about the boy except that his name was Jim, but he gave him a job. And, and Jim spent the summer cutting firewood for the stove, bringing in the cows, helping out wherever he was needed. He, he ate in the kitchen, and, and he slept in the hayloft. Before the summer was over, Jim had fallen in love with the farmer's daughter. And when the farmer refused to let Jim marry her, telling him bluntly, you have no money, you have no name, you have very poor prospects, Jim put his belongings in his old carpet bag and he left. 35 years passed before Taylor one day pulled down his barn to make a, a new one. And on one of the, the rafters above the hayloft, he discovered Jim had carved his full name, James A. Garfield. He was at that time the president of the United States. You can't judge a book by its cover. We want to be careful about being quick to judge others and jumping to, to hasty conclusions. Today marks the final message in a, a four-week series called Message from the Mount that focuses our, our study on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. We've explored uh, some relevant topics. We've tried to answer questions about prayer, uh, about enemies, uh, about worry. And, and today in our message on judging from, from Matthew 7, We'll be unpacking that topic. We've heard a lot in recent weeks about profiling, whether that's a policeman making a traffic stop or the, the common traits of a terrorist being sifted and evaluated. We are all faced with questions about judging and what makes the difference. Today, I want us to understand this, this vital distinction. Here it is. We should not be judgmental, but we should use wise judgment. As Jesus gave his most famous message to that multitude gathered on a Judean hillside 2,000 years ago, what he said still sends meaning from the mount to us today. First, he gave one of two warnings, and we begin in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Warning number one. Don't be judgmental. He says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Verse 3, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This passage cautions us not to be hypercritical or judgmental of others. Jesus is teaching us if you are quick to be critical of others, you can expect the same treatment. In other words, criticism boomerangs. What goes around comes around. Some refer to it as karma. 
And Jesus says, if you dispense judgment on others sparingly, judiciously, then that is what you can expect. But likewise, if you measure it up with a heaping, hasty scoop of criticism, then that is what you will generally receive from others as well. Don't be judgmental of others. In verse 2, Jesus stresses, do not judge or you too will be judged. And this is the, the converse of the golden rule. You remember the golden rule, do unto others as you would have others do unto you? Well, in other words, this is a warning. Don't tear others down if you don't want others to tear you down. The restriction, do not judge, takes place on, on two levels. One meaning applies to the horizontal relationship, how you, you get along with your fellow man. If you're frequently negative and critical of others, then you too can expect criticism from others. And the, the other level relates to the vertical relationship, what we can expect from, from God. Verse 1 says, if you judge others, you will be judged by God. If you are judgmental, critical, quick to find fault, possessing a, a critical spirit, if you are overly exacting of others, you can expect God to judge you similarly. The commentator D. Martin Lloyd-Jones accurately observed, the spirit of hypercriticism is one which is concerned with personalities rather than with principles. We are really interested in the person we are criticizing, not in the particular subject or principle. Our real desire is to condemn the person rather than to get rid of the evil that is in the person. In this passage, Jesus is pointing out to us that self-examination is to precede constructive criticism. Let's read on, continuing in verses 3 through 5 there in our text. So why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. As Jesus was giving the Sermon on the Mount, he used the device of hyperbole, providing an exaggeration as a form of humor to make his, his point to his listeners. He told them, if you notice that your brother has something in your eye, some small microscopic speck, and yet you have a telephone beam protruding, uh, then, then take care of that giant plank sticking out of your own eye uh, before you try to help your, your buddy with his, his problem. This was an LOL comment to the original hearers. They would have literally laughed out loud at the outrageous image that his statement conjured up for them. Jesus was saying, hey, don't be a hypocrite. First take care of, of your own major issues before you go around being hypercritical 
of every small inconsistency you detect in everyone else's lives. Think of his, his metaphor in, in this passage uh, in the context of eye surgery. Several BCC members have, have had recent cataract surgeries. Can, can you imagine this eye surgeon walking into the operating room to perform this delicate maneuver, removing this microscopic splinter from a patient's eye? That sounds natural enough, except that when the eye surgeon turns around, he just happens to have a telephone pole lodged in one of his eyes. That'd that'd be ridiculous. That'd be crazy. His own perspective would be so obscured, so distorted, he couldn't possibly offer any constructive aid. Until he gets rid of that glaring inconsistency in his own life, he can't be constructively offering input into the individual he wants to fine-tune. We wouldn't let him conduct surgery. He needs to take care of his own issues. And so Jesus is saying, first, take care of your own business, and then you'll be better qualified to truly help your brother with his needs. Our personal self-examination is to precede offering constructive criticism to others. When my brother and I were little, our our mom kept a written record of some of the the funny things that that we said, and she gave it to my dad as a Father's Day gift one year. And this is an entry that she had recorded years ago. When I was, was five and my brother was three, it was the entry for July 23rd. Before breakfast, David said, we don't need to say our prayers. Jeffrey said, well, I do. And then Jeff said, I think you're cute, David, but not when you do things like that. And then they talked it over, and soon David folded his hands and listened to Jeff's prayer. And I prayed, dear God, thank you that I can see. Thank you that I can hear. Thank you that I can talk. Thank you for my new Dr. Ben Casey toy kit. In Jesus' name, amen. Then my mom wrote, and he completely forgot to mention the food after his little sermon to David. Why is it that others' imperfections are so glaring? They're so blatant to us. But our own inconsistencies are not so immediately obvious to us. The the problem with our judging others is that we can often get it wrong. John Caldwell was the the senior minister in Indianapolis at the Kingsway Christian Church for for many years. And he, he writes of an experience that happened at their church. He said, she drove through the pouring rain and flooded streets to Kingsway, leaving her husband at home recuperating from cancer surgery. The church building was in sight when it happened. The splash of cold water combined with the engine heat cracked the distributor cap in her car, leaving her stranded in the middle of the downpour. Thankfully, God soon sent two 
angels in the form of Kingsway guys who pushed her car the short remaining distance onto the church parking lot where the car would be safe and out of the way until it could be repaired. She hurried on in through the rain to worship, thankful just to be there. When she came out from the service after church, a note was found on her car from an anonymous judge who called her an inconsiderate idiot because her car was taking up two parking places. It's easy for us to make faulty judgments when we don't know all the facts. Anonymous notes should be discarded without being read, and they amount to the equivalent of a a drive-by shooting. Those who resort to this approach don't want to discuss or don't seek clarification. They only want to judge without any dialogue. Caldwell concludes, let me urge you to avoid making hasty judgments about others. It can do irreparable harm. In regard to the lady with the stalled car, she was gracious and excused the insensitive critic by saying, he was probably having a bad day. Think about what if that car belonged to an unsaved guest visiting our services. Caldwell continues, the impact of such a note then takes on eternal ramifications. What we say and what we do has significance far beyond the moment and the people immediately involved. All right, warning number one, don't be judgmental. The teaching on judging resumes down a few verses later. If we drop down to verse 15 there in Matthew 7, and there's a second warning in this passage. And that's a warning, do use wise judgment. It says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So don't be easily deceived. Be discerning. Certain situations require us making a judgment. That's true if you're choosing a a babysitter or a daycare. That's true if you're buying a used car. Uh, This little baby was only driven on weekends and has 3,000 original miles and has been taken care of. You have to discern. Is that true or not? And then we make judgments when choosing a restaurant. Is the parking lot full or is it empty? That might indicate something. And when you're selecting a hotel, is this going to be a clean room or uh, am I going to have to scoot the bed bugs over before I, I, I climb in here? And, and that's true when hiring an employee. 
I, I like the, the joke about the florist who was having a difficult time finding good workers. And so he, he took a chance on a new delivery man who didn't seem very capable. And sure enough, after the guy's first delivery, the florist received a phone call complaining about the bumbling new delivery man. The caller griped, yeah, we're, we're over here at the church preparing for our building dedication, and this guy left the wrong floral display. Yeah, the, the flowers, the, 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 the sign on the, uh, the, the card reads, may you rest in peace. The florist responded, you think you have a problem. Somewhere across town in a funeral home at a visitation next to a casket, there's a floral display with a card that reads, good luck in your new location. <laughs> it can be dangerous if we fail to discern wisely and make unwise judgments. It can be dangerous to fail to discern wisely, so don't be easily deceived. Instead, discern people by their fruit. And that's what's hinted at in the title of today's message, Be Fruitful in Judging. I had a professor in Bible college who reminded us that while we are not to be harsh or judgmental, we are called to be fruit inspectors. In the context where Jesus warns us not to be overly critical or judgmental, he goes on just a few verses later to clearly show us that wise discernment is not restricted. It is recommended. We have a duty to make decisions and responsible judgments. We are to discern on the basis of people's actions. Are they wolves in sheep's clothing? By their fruit, you will recognize them. And this involves making a, a judgment, a determination about the motive of why someone asks you or, or, or tells you something. At times, we must decide, is this flattery designed to manipulate? Is this criticism originating from another's insecurity? Is this an attack seeking revenge? Is this a sincere statement worthy of acceptance at, at face value? Or is this favor designed to obligate me? Kathleen Hayden writes, The morning after our 20-year-old daughter, Colleen, got home from college for a holiday break, she came into the living room all sleepy-eyed, bundled in her robe. She walked over to the couch, and she cuddled up next to me and put her head on my shoulder. Colleen Hayden said nostalgically, as she stroked her daughter's hair, when you were a little girl, you would crawl up on my lap at the breakfast table and say, Cheerios, Mommy, Cheerios. After the briefest moment of silence, Colleen whispered, MasterCard, Mommy, MasterCard. <laughs> Jesus commanded the 12 apostles to, to be wise as serpents, but harmless as doves as they discerned. How can we make accurate judgments? We must learn to recognize truth from a counterfeit. Do you know how bank tellers primarily detect counterfeit money? They are trained to become so familiar, 
handling genuine currency that almost immediately they can detect the slightest variation in weight, in texture, in appearance of a phony bill. Please notice that verses 16 and 17 are given in this context of a message zeroing in on judging. Jesus explains that making determinations is not only acceptable, but it's our responsibility. That's how we can recognize truth from the counterfeit. He said, by their fruit, that is by their actions, by their behavior, by the evidence of their deeds, by by their track record, you shall know them. Do grapes come from thorn bushes? No. Do figs come from thistles? No. Years ago, singer-actor Sonny Bono spent over $100,000 in his successful campaign to win the election and become the mayor of Palm Springs, California. By the way, did I mention that the mayor's job pays $15,000 annually? So we can make a judgment about several things. Perhaps Sonny really wanted badly to be a civic servant. Or or maybe he desired to participate in politics or possibly he'd gone down this road just for his own personal enjoyment. It's possible that he entered the political arena for ego gratification. But it is obvious one thing, he wasn't taking this part-time job for the money. He didn't spend $100,000 to get a job that pays $15,000 a year. That's a judgment we can definitely make. Last June, Bob Russell wrote a powerful article entitled, The Sin of Approving Sin. It was based on the Bible verse, Romans 132, where it says, Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do those very things, but also approve of those who practice them. I want to quote from Bob's article. He wrote, Notice Christ's followers are challenged not only to resist evil desires, but were admonished not to give approval to those who indulge in depravity. He goes on, It concerns me that some who claim to be Christians imagine themselves as being tolerant when they openly endorse false beliefs and and evil behaviors. In a culture where flaunting sin is common and opposing sin is seen as hate, many believers yield to peer pressure and cheer depravity, call good what God calls evil, and undermine the biblical plea for repentance. It is one thing to be kind and respectful. It is another to approve and enable. Shane Pruitt tweeted, No matter how much a culture celebrates and affirms sin, it still doesn't stop being sin. Russell continues, Often when a spiritual leader speaks out against sin or calls for repentance, shallow believers protest, That doesn't sound like Jesus. Jesus loved everybody and welcomed sinners. 
And indeed, Jesus did welcome sinners, but he also motivated them to turn from their transgressions, to live a transformed life, and be saved. The Jesus of the Bible was full of grace and truth, John 1.14. He was compassionate to the sinful woman at the well, John 4. And yet he confronted her with truth about her sin. In John chapter 8, Jesus forgave a woman caught in adultery, and he added, go now and leave your life of sin. The first step to receiving God's forgiveness is to be remorseful for our sin, to allow God's Holy Spirit to transform the way we think, the the way we feel, the, the way we behave. It was Peter Marshall when he was the chaplain of the U.S. Senate who prayed, Lord, we thank you that we can come to you just as we are, but remind us we dare not leave as we came. Bob goes on and says, rather than endorsing sin, the compassionate and faithful response of Christians is to encourage others toward repentance and to receive salvation from sin. Understandably, that's not easy to do in this era of cancel culture when there's so much pressure to conform and unpleasant consequences from social media bullies. Similarly, some Influential leaders of Jesus' day felt that same pressure, and they stayed silent. It says in, in John 12, 42 and 43, many even among the leaders believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than the praise from God. It was the 18th century poet Alexander Pope who warned of sin's sinister, subtle progression over time. He said, Vice is a monster of so frightful mien as to be hated needs but to be seen. Yet seen too oft, familiar with her face, we first endure, then pity, then embrace. Bob concluded his article saying, instead of embracing what God calls evil or being intimidated into silence, let's emulate Jesus who was full of grace and truth. Uh, Amen. I I couldn't agree more. Galatians 6.1 cautions, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. The most important thing for us to remember is we we talk about judging, not being harsh and judgmental, but making wise judgments is that someday we all realize that we will be judged. God will serve as as judge for for you and me. In his sinlessness, he has the right to judge us. 
He has the authority to judge. And we will each be judged on the basis of how we have responded or failed to respond to his son, Jesus. And so the question this morning is, are you ready for that? Are you right with him? Hebrews 9.27, the King James Version says, It is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. The New International says, Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. And so for the Christian, judgment need not be a frightening moment. Because picture a a courtroom appearance that will be a a mere formality because Jesus Christ, the judge's son, is serving as our defense attorney. He's representing us in that celestial courtroom. And the outcome will be predetermined by our previous earthly responses. And while we could never defend ourselves in that situation, Jesus will say, he or she's with me. He's one of mine. She's one of mine. They didn't love a perfect life, but tried to follow and be faithful on earth. And so we must all be ready at all times for that unavoidable appointment. Regardless of what you have accomplished in life, your successes, your gains, your advances, your trophies, what will it profit a person to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? Just stand and pray with me right now.